This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Q Beach Junior Public School. They list the address on the sign. It's okay to tell you where the address is. It's on Kip and Davy Avenue. Um, and the kids, the 11-year-olds at the school. So it's a junior public school. So I assume... Gee, but I don't even know. Does a junior public school, do you graduate after grade six? And then you go to like yes, a junior high? Yes, it goes high? up to, well, it's it's like a mini graduation. Exactly. Then you go to a grade seven, eight school. Yeah, because I was, were you one of those like K to eight schools where you graduate? It's exactly. From, right, yeah. Yeah, th- we went all the way to eight. I think that's the way to do it. I don't know. I I think junior high can be a little <laughs> intimidating. It gave us to grassy junior high, I suppose. Um, it prepares you for high school. I think so. I, I I know, but grade eight is really fun to run around and be like kings and queens of the castle, and yes, all the grade fours look at you in awe, or they they look at you in awe, and then you turn your back and they make fun of you. I don't know what what it was, because um, you're really awkward by the time you're 13. Anyway, Q Beach Junior Public School had a sign up um, earlier in the week. Looks like it was done this week. Nice sunny afternoon. Life does not come with a manual. It comes with a mom. And the grade sixes must have found that slogan because I searched up that slogan and there's coffee mugs and there's uh, pillows and it's just a wonderful thing to honor um, mom. And uh, one parent, um, and I'm not saying she's the only one, but one parent kind of went on a campaign and a crusade to get the sign um, taken down. And she even described it as the worst sign ever. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I've seen some stand-up comedy, and so have you. I'm like, I can come up with a worse sign than that um, to put outside an elementary school. But that's that's what she says, and um, and the sign has, has gone down. Now, I'm told the principal did what he could, made his case, and, and he's the one that decides, let's get that sign up. But then he gets that phone call, and it's from the TDSB, and it's take the sign down. What's your thought on this? This story is crazy to me. So life does not come with a manual. It comes with the mom. Look, not not everybody was born from a a woman, okay, from a vagina. I'm just going to go ahead and say that's how we all came out. Uh, some of us have mothers and others don't for numerous reasons across the board. But if you're trying to take away Mother's Day, that's where I draw the line. What I love about this is that these children came up with this slogan. They did, 11-year-olds. Yeah. Yes, they did their research. They had this big responsibility. They're the kings and queens of this junior public school. So they had this big responsibility to put up a slogan for Mother's Day to honor mothers, whether you have one or not. And then what, <laughs> what I find ironic is that the woman who complained, she's a mother of four, the woman who complained, her children don't even go to this school she happened to be driving by. She found the sign offensive and she escalated it. Yes. And this is where they are now. So then they replaced it with something. Make this month count. Accomplish your goals. You can do this. That's what they were. That, but, but that what, stands for the month of but May. But you didn't notice accomplish is spelled I know. without an M. Did someone yes. steal the M? Did they run so out they, of M's? They misspelled accomplish on top of that. So for me, I saw this and I, this is enough is enough. Look, I'm all about inclusivity for everybody across the board, whoever you are, whatever type of family you have. But the second Sunday in May, I believe it's the second Sunday, is Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day. And you honor your mother or your mother figure, whoever that is to you. And if you don't have one, I am, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm, it's unfortunate. But don't take that away from the rest of us. Brady, I have four kids who who talk back to me, say no to me, argue with each other, bicker with each other all towels. year long. 
my, yeah, steal my wet, t- they take wet towels, <laughs> shove them in the back of their, honestly, these kids drive me crazy. But my birthday and Mother's Day, those are the two days of the year that I get, that they smarten up, that they shut up, and they make it all about me. Don't try to take that away from me. I, this is, and the, by the way, this is not about, uh, so well said, applause to you. And this is not about, I understand if you're driving by an elementary school in your neighborhood that, you, again, your kids didn't go to and they never will. And you see, you know, he is risen or <laughs> any other religious message, any other religious message. And you're like, wait a minute. There's a little bit of a, it's a public school. There's a little bit of a, of a separation of church and I've state. I've never seen that. I've now, never I've seen never, anything religious. Right. I, I never have either. But I don't know where we, I don't know where we draw the line here. I Because it, we're, family day is a day that you have off for school and everybody feels different things at different times. I mean, it depends on the time of day sometimes for some families, how they feel about their family. And by the way, I heard this just went like a rocket ship virally yesterday. I, I wrote a tweet about it. I heard from mom couples who are like, this is outrageous. We have a, not going to that school, but like we have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. We're two moms. We wouldn't even have been, we would have been ostracized about that 15, 20 years ago. Our parents, I think we can say this, our parents were, were slow to the pickup on some, on some of the inclusivity you're talking about. But that's not what this is. This isn't about religion. This isn't a nativity scene. This isn't the three wise men. This isn't um, anything to do with with Muslim faith, Jewish faith, um, you know, Christian faith, anything. This is about mom. This is yeah. about mom. Mom. And that's when you mess with mom, that's where I step in. That's where I step up. Because you don't mess with mom. I don't care. I don't care who you are. So this person who complained, uh, they actually went online. And you know these mom groups. You know how fierce they can get. You know what? We should change the name. Don't call it a mom group. I know. Yes. Yes. But it's not inclusive. They should change the name. Change the name from mom groups. So this is what their issue was. Their issue was that um, it, it excludes kids in foster care, kids with two dads, kids who have no contact with their moms, kids who have abusive moms. Yeah. Look, that's all extremely unfortunate. But what about the kids with the moms? Let's yeah. have a different day for everybody else. Give us Mother's Day. Like this is what you're trying to take away Mother's Day at this point? No way. We we don't cancel f- track and field day and we don't cancel sports. I think we could agree that w- what we try, especially at a younger age, to get everybody the same opportunity to get on the field, house league sports, all that stuff. I'm to- I'm sorry, that's the next branch for me. If you told me 20 years ago, you know what? Schools are going to dig in and cancel, in essence, cancel Mother's Days and Father's Days. Then I'd be like, well, what's next? Field day? Ah, ha, ha. Why won't that happen? Why won't somebody go up and say, Johnny or Jennifer, they're not the best at, at running, hurdling, jumping. I sucked <laughs> at high jump. Okay, I can tell- I'll give you the stuff that I stunk at as an athlete. Um, but but what what's enough? What's enough? Where does some of this stop? And I'll tell you this from the school board's perspective. The school boards matter. I think they matter in terms of giving opportunity and listening to people that need advocacy and listening to people that need help. But this is a culture war issue. This is a culture war issue, plain and simple. And the school gave in. The and school, the school caved that's in. That's what bothers me. When are you guys going to stand up? When are you guys going to yeah. So this is, this is a great line from the article. One person said that the greeting was in bad taste, while others call it inappropriate and mega 
exclusionary, not just exclusionary, Greg, mega exclusionary. To celebrate a mom on Mother's Day is exclusionary. What have we become as a society? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I again, I listen. We're, we've given we've given back Halloween to some extent. We really have. I don't think Halloween is a quote unquote religious holiday, but you know and I know, right? Halloween, Valentine's Day, these things aren't the same in elementary schools as they were five, six years ago. They're not. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Lots of people want to weigh in on this. I'm going to tell you this is happening in a lot of different places, though. I asked um, someone and someone sent this in that they got this sent home. Uh, as a parent of a TDSB uh, child at a TDSB school. Here's from the here's from the school. We have been fielding a couple of emails from parents with regards to the celebration of Mother and Father's Day in the in the kindy classroom. Okay. Um, a couple of emails. Great. Fantastic. While we respect and honor those who celebrate those occasions, these occasions with their loved ones, we will not be touching on these days specifically, meaning Mother and Father's Day, as to acknowledge the different family dynamics within our community. What does that mean? However, these topics do come up in kindergarten, and we will give the children the opportunity to create something should they wish to. Oh, thank you. We will, however, recognize International Day of Families on May 15th. Again, I heard three different occasions last night, all irrespective and independent of each other, of two mother families who say, what the what to this? And I'm sure two father families would say the same thing. And I don't care who's estranged from whom. Or what happened at some point? I know someday there will be a Mother's Day when I don't have my mother in my life. I just saw her on Friday. And I'll feel it. I'll feel that oomph. But that's life. And we are doing no preparation, by the way, for our kids. None of it. We are not preparing them for adulthood at all. Where you get kicked. Where you get punched. Where it's a rat race. Where you get something and someone wants it. Or you see something someone else has and you want it. That's life. That's personal life, professional life. That's all that stuff. I'm all for leveling the playing field. I'm all for giving people the same amount of opportunity. But that's the difference again. I'll, I'll fight till my dying day. That's a massive difference between create an equal level playing field and creating equity. We can't find a holiday. We can't find a holiday. One special day, one celebration, one congratulatory statement that includes everyone. Someone feels left out of something all the time. That's L-I-F-E. Get used to it. And get out of the rest of our ways who want to realize the ups and downs of our existence. Okay. Steven, thanks for the phone call. You go right ahead. Hi. I uh, I just wanted to say I, I appreciate that, Brian. I really love my mother. And uh, I think the kids that put their thoughts and hearts into that sign do feel the same way. So... The fact that the school took the sign down, I think there's more issues with that than the sign itself. Uh, and Stephen, think about when you're 11 and you and there's an element of rejection, and then you realize early days, oh yeah, that's what that feels like. That that's a girl or boy not liking you. That's a bad mark. That's getting cut we from all a, felt that. right. That's getting cut from a sports team. Um, that's being told to work harder at something. Exactly. Um, and and and, th- and somebody went into those kids and said that sign you guys created, nice try. It just doesn't work for a couple people in our community. They're Where's left the with that. that. Where is the positivity in that? It, it puts a negative shadow on Mother's Day, where family bonds and loving your mother strengthens kids, in my opinion. Exactly. And again, I don't. I, I get that families come in all different shapes and sizes. Parents come in all different shapes and sizes. So do people. 
I've said it a million times over that I don't care who you are or where you came from or who you want to identify as. Love who you want to love. Be who you want to be. Call yourself what you want to call yourself. Now, we will point out occasions where we're like, well, in the context of doing that, is everything fair and balanced on the other side? You've heard me talk about women's sports. I've got an opinion on it. I'm trying to find a way to make it work. But what you have to recognize is for these 11-year-olds, getting back to this, for these 11-year-olds, they just got dunked on by a mom of four kids who has nothing to do with the school, who's on Facebook. I don't know how, how, how all day long she's on Facebook, but in some Facebook messenger group. And, you know, things start to snowball a little bit. She'll probably write the radio station and hear that I was talking about her. Best of luck. Best of luck. I'm just being honest about my feelings and I'm trying to, and I give you the, I give you the, the right to be, be honest with yours, but obviously I'm not trying to mess anybody, any 11 year old kid's psyche up by telling them their sign sucks. Marcus, thanks for the phone call. You're on Toronto today. Go right ahead. Morning, Greg. This is once again, this wokeism gone a little awry. Um, you know, hearing this about the mother's day, doesn't matter what you are. Nobody was, Everybody had a mother of some sort. Everybody was born everybody, had to have a woman. Exactly. Everybody, everybody had a mother. You just be, it wasn't somebody who identified as a woman. It was a woman who had you. Everybody had a mother. Enough of this. Somebody's feelings are going to get hurt. That's life. Let's, you know, all these kids are going to grow up and none of them, oh, well, my feelings were hurt and they're all going to be, you know, run away crying. Enough. You, you got it. And, and, and Marcus, it'll come around on Father's Day in two months and, oh. and, and there will be as school comes to an end and there could be two dads that, uh, that adopted a beautiful baby from this country, another country, whatever. And I bet you they take their role as dad as seriously as you and I do. And they get told, sorry, no Father's Day. Not everybody's got a dad. They're, they're, what's outrageous? It makes me wonder, you hear that the sign was taken out. Are there not like any clear-thinking adults anywhere around there? And again, you said this woman had nothing to do with the school. That's what you hear all the time. Even in the city when they're having school board meetings, there's people standing up, oh, outraged at this or that. And then you go, do you have kids? Well, no, my kids are 25 years old. They're no longer in school. <laughs> it's, it's really something. Thank you for the phone call. I want to keep rolling through this, and we'll take a couple more on, uh, on the other side. I got a little bit of insight from a, a, a union rep that talks to me a lot. Um, and I won't out him, but but kind of how this could happen with with a human. It could basically be the human rights office at the TDSP. I'll get into that on the other side of this. Harris, thanks for the phone call and thanks for waiting. More importantly, uh, go right ahead. Hi, Sorry, Harris. For me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How are you today? Great. Thank you. Clearly, the Charlotte woman has way too much time on her hands. But as that caller pointed out, that was my sentiments. Exactly. Somewhere at some point, biologically, every one of us came from a mother one day a year to celebrate her if you're lucky enough to have her absolutely this is another example of the five percent or the six percent making the 95 percent kowtow it's just ridiculous it's time for Dan. harris this is this is more universal than even the national anthem is if you said to me greg you got to pick one i'm like well everybody has a mother if the flag makes everybody feel differently or the anthem makes everybody feel differently, same way a Christmas pageant does or Easter or Ramadan or whatever, I get it. Not every, everyone's going to feel left out of something. But everybody had a damn mom. Everybody. And more anthems in school, the world would probably be a better place. <laughs> well, yeah, it would delay also uh, art class and music class. By the way, I was, I, you know, I was pretty stigmatized during art and music. I suck at drawing and I can't read music. Um, should we get rid of those classes? Because I feel disenfranchised by those subjects. 
Again, we're, we're, we're moments away from track and field day. We're moments away from plays. Can I go see Shakespeare at the Tra- Stratford Festival? I bet you Shakespeare wasn't the best of guys. Where does it end? It, it ends nowhere unless, unless pe- idiots like me yell about it and awesome callers like you yell about it also. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Joining us in studio. He's got two young kids, so this is like, this is wonderful for him to be anywhere else probably than the house at 633 on one of five weekdays. Uh, Nate Erskine-Smith from Beaches East York, the Liberal MP. Do your kids wake you up early still at that? Wait till they're, they sleep until 11 a.m. Then you don't have to worry about it. You'll be like, get up. We have stuff to do. Come on. You're shaking them. <laughs> they they do get me up early, usually around 6, 615. I was up even earlier today because I made lunch for my six-year-old before coming here. So there you go. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure, and you put your heart and soul into it. I'm Hell sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna tell my wife. A piece yeah. of bread, a little, <laughs> little slice of butter here and there, some uh, some water. Um, Pasta with nothing on it. <laughs> your son, your son, I saw some photos of your son. Uh, how old is he now? He's six. I got a six year old and a three year old. He's he's rather. I think at some of these, uh, you were in Scarborough last night, but at some of these rallies, he's got the potential to be rather precocious, doesn't he? Like <laughs> yes. he does. He have a sense that you're. Dad's sort of doing something that's that's you know macro big picture changing. Jobs. I'm not sure. I, you know, in the last election, walking around the neighborhood, pointing at my face, you on can see your face, yeah, and all that. So there's a bit of that. And yeah, my three year old, especially last night, was like, "There's daddy. There's another daddy. There's another daddy." Because the signs were everywhere. So yeah, it, it, I have no idea how you normalize something as ridiculous as this. No, no. Um, let's get some federal business because I know people uh, were asking about the vote earlier this week um, to expel the Chinese diplomats. The liberals voted against it. What's what's sort of the logistics and the parameters of of that? Why 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 do that when it looked like everybody was on board with the idea that. If we deem that there's some form of interference, if we deem Michael Chong was intimidated, um, why does the vote go one way? If the vote was specifically on an expulsion of a diplomat, then I, I think it goes the other way, actually, and it would have been unanimous in the House. Michael's someone who has respect of the House on all sides of the aisle. The motion included other measures, including an idea of a public inquiry, and we were so close to David Johnson. You're waiting that out. Yeah. Yeah, and look, I, I went... I went back and forth on this, but we're so we're, we're days away from Johnston making a decision, and let's not preempt that. And so, look, the government took swift action otherwise after that motion and vote and expelled the diplomat anyway, right? So, so here we are. Yeah. Um, okay. So we mentioned this uh, Q Beach School. Do you, you probably know exactly where Q Beach Junior Public School is? I do. My, you can walk there probably. Not only that, I, I, we've moved since, but my okay. six-year-old went there for kindergarten. So when you see that the sign goes up, the grade six take a a quote that, like I said, it's on, it's not that controversial quote. It's on coffee mugs. You can buy it at (laughs) at Chapters or Indigo later today, probably on a pillow. Life does not come with a manual. It comes with a mom. Um, We live in sensitive times. Of course we do. But what's your thought in, in your writing when a sign like this can't remain up for three or four days prior to Mother's Day weekend? I initially saw that story and I thought, wow, that's ridiculous. Are we going to cancel Mother's Day next? And then I looked more closely and I was like, wow, that's in my writing. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to, now I really have to weigh in on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's on Mississauga or Oakville. Yeah. It's, I think it's important that we have an inclusive society, but I, I'm not really sure where canceling a sign like that leads and where it, and where it ends. I mean, we are going to celebrate Mother's Day this weekend, I would hope. I I love my mom. My kids love 
my wife. And I understand not everyone has a mom and, the, and there are conversations that happen around Mother's Day as a result of that. But canceling a sign like this, taking a sign like this down is equivalent to me of saying, let's not celebrate Mother's Day. Yeah. And I heard people say, well, w- what if you have two dads? I'm like, oh, their day's coming. Like, that's that's exciting. And I heard from <laughs> I heard from a mom last night that said, I'm a mom and I'm married to a mom and we have a six year old daughter. And like she was apoplectic that a sign like that should come down because again, that was that was a scenario, Nate, that our parents, eh, you know, maybe they weren't sure whether that that should be a good thing. Maybe our grandparents certainly weren't sure that should be a good thing. So we've come, we always have work to do. We always got tons of work to do, but we've come leaps and bounds in a good way. And there's two moms <laughs> in the same household saying, celebrate us. Absolutely. We, we, we do this 365 days a year. Yeah, of course. Who, who I, you look at this and it, this is why I was surprised it was in my writing because you look at this as some internet story that happens somewhere else that you think that's ridiculous. How could that ever happen? And you move on and then, oh, it actually happened in our neighborhood. It happened because, and I, and I know the community groups on Facebook where a bunch of people weigh in in an aggressive way, but that is not reflective of the vast, vast majority of us who want to celebrate Mother's Day, want to celebrate our moms, want to celebrate Father's Day, want to celebrate our dads, and want to celebrate each other. And, and though this stuff matters, Nate, I think I think that sometimes this can slow politicians down to some extent. This can slow the machinery of, of government down. When the, the politicians want to spend a lot of time on practical things that make lives better for the people in their riding, the people in their province, the people in their country— And though this is important, we've been talking about it for three and a half minutes and we both have an emotional reaction and I'm sure our listeners do too. But a lot of this, I'd call it culture war stuff. It it gets in the way of the meat and potatoes of how to make lives better for people. It's interesting you reference culture wars. As I've gone around the province and I've been over 50 ridings now Mm -hmm. on the exploratory tour and we're now official as part of the Ontario leadership race. But Public education is a huge part of what we're talking about. My parents were both teachers. I was on the picket lines with my parents in the Harris years, and that was my first experience in politics. And we need to defend excellence in public education for our kids. We need what's best for our kids. We need to make sure the education system is graduating them so they are going to be ready to succeed in life. And culture wars, just the culture wars, I think, largely imported from the U.S., just upends all of that. Um, the, the, the purpose of the school boards, I know if you're, if you're leader, if you're opposition leader and if you're premier, there's, there's a relationship to have, um, isn't, isn't there with appointing an education minister, working with the boards and certainly working with the unions on contracts. Um, what's your observation of where those conversations need to go? What's an ideal circumstance? Like, like define what you hope a school board does and what their purpose is and, and why people would take their time and, and volunteer. Well, they get paid a stipend, but why they'd want to be on a school board. There's a lot of scrutiny now. I got that. But there's also a lot of a lot of people wondering if they're if they've got their sort of focus on all the right things, which is just plain and simple to me. The learning environment for every kid and making sure every kid's got got a fair number of at bats. I have a great local trustee, Michelle, and I'll use an example of where I think trustees can be really effective. Mm hmm. We have had many conversations around uh, universal, healthy school food program. And there are American states that do a much better job of this, of providing accessible, free, universally available food in schools. Like a school breakfast program school or something like School breakfast program, yeah. school lunch program. 
we have talked about at the federal level of providing dollars and cents. It would obviously be delivered within provinces and at the school board level potentially. It would go a long way to leveling the playing field for kids in need, but also helping to ensure that kids are eating healthy meals. It shouldn't just be about, you know, here's cheap and readily available food. It should be based on the food guide. Here's what's best for you. We're going to make sure that we teach kids how to grow up eating as healthy as possible and and look after them. I mean, there's an example where that's a very useful policy conversation for school boards to be having. And so they could make a difference. They can make a difference. Are they always making the difference they should? Uh, not not at the moment. Mm. Um, we have about a minute here before we break, but but I wondered if you sort of looked and said, is there any? Are there any two issues that you hear about more provincially that just seem to matter more than education and healthcare? And we kind of combined those into a salad during the pandemic, and they both tended to elevate in terms of how much they matter. We realize how important a provincial government is in the everyday steps we take in our life during the pandemic. With a whether schools are open, what education's like when they are open, and then obviously what our hospitals, our long term care, all of it's like, and it all stems from provincial policy. Healthcare, education, I would add two to that list. Housing, 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 mm-hmm. I hear all the time, and rightly so. It's a generational fairness challenge. It's also an economic productivity challenge. People are leaving our communities, leaving our province, uh, because it's not affordable to be here. And then economic opportunity. How do we make sure that we are creating the environment so people are going to be able to see jobs where they where, where they can earn a decent paycheck and and live where they want to live. We're with Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, Liberal MP from Beaches East York. So we'll talk about, uh, dive into some specific policy, but you announced on Monday, um, why was, or Tuesday, actually Tuesday morning, why was Tuesday the right time? Had you processed uh, doing this a bit earlier? Had you processed doing this a bit later? Um, what helps you now in terms of diving into the pool and making it official for you and your team? So I said back in September, I was at uh, my caucus retreat in New Brunswick. And at that time, I was getting asked questions by I said, I'm seriously considering I'm going to do this if I can build a team of people that represent the diversity, the geographic diversity of this province. And I've been traveling the province since that time. I've gone to almost half of the ridings and six tours in northern Ontario, been in southwestern Ontario, eastern Ontario, everywhere in between. And we're, we don't have the final team. The team's going to continue to grow, but we've got a strong and growing team, represents every corner of the province. And on the last leg of the tour, it's certainly when I was in Timmins, it certainly didn't feel like I was exploring anymore. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm all in. I'm convinced this is where I can make the biggest difference. I've made a big difference over the last seven and a half years in Ottawa. Now it's time to make a huge difference at the provincial level. You, you strike me as very um, um, re- relatable to the voters, and yet at the same time, I think you're very data-driven. And I know you've looked into some of the numbers of of the results. Not just, look, in 2018, to me, um, these things happen. And and uh, I always say this, like the, the train's going to come around the corner for every politician and every party. It's just a question whether you're going to absorb it or, or jump out of the way. But but last year could have been different. Um, and I know you've looked and thought like we're getting nine percent in ridings. We used to get 30 percent in win. We're getting 20 percent. I've told you I, I grew up in London and London is that's a liberal city still at the end of the day. So there's a lot of spots up and down the 401 even in Kitchener where you're seating and giving up seats that just they were liberal seats for 20 years before 2018. 
I assume those are the ones you absolutely have to dig in on and get them back if if the party's going anywhere. I see it as a two-track objective here. You've got ridings where London North Center, you mentioned London. We've got to win that riding in the next election. It is a liberal riding. There's a strong liberal representative in Peter Fragascatus right now who's helping us out on this campaign. And I'm confident that we, if we build an active presence, rebuild the grassroots of the party, engage people, speak to the issues that matter to people. We talk healthcare, education, housing. I mean, the issues that matter to people all across the province, speak to the values of competence, compassion, integrity. I think we're going to be successful. There are other ridings, and I'll use Sarnia Lampton as an example because my wife's from Kamlaki, yeah. small community yeah. outside of Petrolia. Farm's been the family since 1834. My father-in-law is still there. My father-in-law will say, you know, you guys gave up on us before we gave up on you. We have for years not had an active presence in Sarnia Lampton. And do I think we're going to win Sarnia Lampton 2026? No. But do I think we have to rebuild an active presence so there's a strong voice for that community in our party? Absolutely. And, and there's a longer term approach to rebuilding this party in a much more serious, sustainable way. Absolutely everywhere. What parallels are there to what was needed in, in 2015 federally? You said you got electrified and said, this is something I'm going to do. I'll run in 2015. Um, we had one of your former colleagues sitting right where you were yesterday in, in Selena Cesar Chavan. She had the same kind of energy and electricity going in for 2015. So to me, candidates were younger. They were. They had a, they had a long, long landing strip, if you will. And Justin obviously was the right person at the right time. Um, and, and that doesn't speak ill of the people that came before, but, the, but Justin just caught a, a moment where it's like Bill Clinton to me in the States in 1992. Like it's, it's right person, right time. And everything seemed to click. Are there parallels you see where you're like, cause that was a party that was clearly rebuilding on the federal level. And you were part of that. You knew that knocking on doors. A lot of people I'm talking to right now, haven't voted liberal in a long time. And, and you got, you got them to vote for you. I see many parallels. In fact, that core question, how do you make the biggest difference with the time you got? I answered that question 10 years ago by leaving law for federal politics. That's where I can make the biggest difference. The Liberal Party was in third place, in desperate need of that generational grassroots renewal, a, a positive vision of what we stand for, and against a really frustrating, cynical, conservative government. And you fast forward to today, all the parallels are at the provincial level. And the difference is I now have a track record behind me of doing politics a bit differently over the last seven and a half years, working across party lines to get things done, track record of building a strong political organization, and a track record of helping to shape the government's agenda in a serious way. And so that core question, how do I make the biggest difference? Many lessons to be learned about field organization first, rebuilding volunteerism, engagement, reminding everyone that now is the time to participate. If you want better from politics, the answer is participation, and now is the time to get involved and build something. I mean, one of the real challenges to the provincial party right now is there are eight seats at Queen's Park. One of the real opportunities is there are only eight seats at Queen's Park. We get to build something here, and we get to build it together as we want it and, and bring a seriousness to politics that I don't see at Queen's Park. How would you put the the distinction between um, someone who's new to politics or or that's followed it, but somebody that hasn't run before or or run at a more tertiary level, and somebody that's that's a veteran? Do you have to get like if you're building a team, it's a little like sports we talk about? Do you need those men and women in the room that have kind of been there, done that, along with new energy, along with the people like you were and Selena were in 19, in 2015? I think it's helpful to have both. We overwhelmingly, if you were at the rally last night. You would have seen an overwhelming number of young people who are there, not for the first campaign, but the first leadership campaign. Mm -hmm. 
And at the same time, I do think it's important to have people who are going to provide some mentorship. I've always said to especially senators or past parliamentarians, David Cullinette in the East End or Art Eagleton and Lorna Morrison and others, Bill Graham when he was uh, still around, I've said to them, I prefer to learn from your mistakes rather than my own. <laughs> and so there's always a benefit to seeking out guidance and mentorship. But this is going to be a very young, energetic team, and we're going to supplement that with, with mentorship of people who have been there and done it. Mm. Um, obviously, there's there's no gauging um, who else is going to run um, against you. Um, but we talked when the, the Mike Schreiner um, concept came up, and you made a video uh, about it. Um, when you look back on that now, were you like, that probably gave you even more energy thinking, a lot of respect for Mike Schreiner, but but that might have emboldened you to say, no, I really want this. I, I want this for, for the party. Definitely. And even seeing the reaction to that letter, there were people who were really opposed to it because they thought, we've got talent in the Liberal Party yeah. and we've got to see that talent succeed. So that was energizing. But then even the people who supported the letter, why did they support it? They supported it because they wanted to see politics done a bit differently and our politics to be about ideas. And I think we're going to be able to deliver on that in the leadership race too. And there's a huge opportunity to bring people together in this. People who have not been involved in the Liberal Party for a long time, get them back involved. People who have never been involved in politics, get them involved. And even people within the party who haven't always seen eye to eye or seen politics the same way, bring them involved to say, we all. Be- why are we liberals? Why am I a liberal? My parent, I grew up in an NDP household. My parents were both teachers. Mm-hmm. I'm a liberal because I believe in a level of seriousness and competence that I don't see in politics all the time. I believe in a strong economic agenda and fiscal sustainability. I believe in fairness for those in need and honesty and integrity. And if we hold those values together and then deliver on the big picture challenges, and you talk about healthcare, you talk about education, housing, economic opportunity, I think we're going to be very successful. I got a couple of minutes on healthcare. It's the one thing I know you and I have talked about it on the air, and it's the one thing I, I hear all the time from people about how important it is. This is going to be in our current circumstances. I worry this is going to be a very difficult province to age out in. Um, I'm worried about it. I know people talk to you, and they're worried about it. And they look in the conservatives, and they see a, a, a bit of a harshness. And they look at the NDP, and they see a party that just wants to throw money after the exact same system over and over again. So I've said this to you. I feel like if the Liberal Party can can redefine and tweak healthcare somewhat, I think they're going to win a lot of elections in a row. How I, I know there's still so much work to do about platforms and whatnot, but what are your early instincts about what needs to be done here? I've got many thoughts on healthcare already, and we're building a team of very thoughtful people who have experienced lived experience as a nurse, for example, or people who have long been involved in the healthcare system at, at an administrative level. And I'll tell you. The values that have to drive us, it's equity. People can't use their wealth to skip the line. That's a mm-hmm. core value around equity. It's also efficiency and innovation. And as liberals, we've got to hold both together. And so when it is, you look at the nursing challenge right now, it's a labor force challenge, or you look at so many people and, and it's only going to get more challenging as people age, we need to make sure that we have the, the, the labor force to sustain that. And that's about pay in part. It's about working conditions in part. And then there's the other question of you look at home care and institutional care, just as an example, if you're talking about seniors. Well, compare us to other countries that do it the best. Denmark, for example, spends two out of every two, two thirds of every dollar on home care and one third of every dollar in institutional care. We do the opposite. And so there are many ways of rethinking how we deliver healthcare in a more efficient way, in a way that delivers better patient outcomes, what people want out of their healthcare system. You go to 
the conversation with family doctors and the fact they're still faxing requests for specialists. That in, We're in 2023. Why are we talking about faxes? Efficiency does matter in the system. Integrated care does matter when I talk to administrators from other provinces. So there are many ways where we can hold on to the idea of equity. What's best for patients? How do we make sure there's fairness in the system? At the same time, as we talk about efficiency, innovation, and we make sure patient outcomes are driven at, at a lower cost. And thank you for just mentioning Denmark, because I just I just think more work can be done. All I hear from one side is, well, we don't want to become the United States. You got it. A hundred percent, a million percent. I agree with that. And I live there and benefited from having a job with benefits there. But way too many people fall through the cracks. And these European countries, as you know, have figured this out. So we could pick this from that country and say, does that work? Does that not work? There's a lot of time to flesh out what, what's working in Europe because right now nobody in Europe is emulating our system. Nobody is. What's working in Europe, and I would even say, having spoken to David Naylor, for example, who's sort of mm. the, the dean of, of uh, medicine in Canada in some ways, he pointed to HMOs, nonprofit HMOs in the United States, that the efficiency that they bring to bear, and it's nonprofit. And so when we had the conversation about privatization here in Ontario, the real question should have been, what is most efficient? And looking around the world, what systems are most efficient? And when you've got an expert like like Naylor say, look at nonprofit HMOs in the U.S., let's look at nonprofit look HMOs at- in the U.S. Let's look at what works and let's emulate what works. Yeah, yeah, that's how it goes. Uh, how can people find out more about your campaign? How can people get involved? Um, where do they go? Meetnate.ca. And mm-hmm. there are many different ways of getting involved, but the core of it is get involved by registering to vote mm-hmm. in this race doesn't matter where you are in Ontario, you can register to vote for free, meetnate.ca. You've got until September 11th to register, but really the core of it is register now, get involved, add your ideas. As I say, there's an opportunity to build something successfully here if we build it together. So my message is come build it with me. Well, thanks so much for coming in, spending time with us and uh, and being on the show as frequently as you are and answering all the questions that you do. Our, our upbringing sounds similar. I got dragged to an Ed Broadbent rally when I was uh, 14 years old. I, lo- I think I was promised Harvey's afterwards, but I loved it. I I got kind of hooked on that whole, uh, whole political rally thing and Ed was a fantastic guy, but uh, same scenario. Thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. There's Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. Uh, he's running for the Ontario Liberal Leadership and current MP for Beaches East York. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Making it in studio this morning, and I'm sure it's a- an emotional day for her, but she seems uh, spirited, is uh, Liberal MPP Mitzi Hunter. We're going we're to talk a lot about, I-, I think there's a legacy that you you will leave provincial politics with. I think there's a ton to be proud of. You had three different cabinet positions, including uh, Minister of Education, which uh, everybody talks about. That that can be a thankful and a thankless job at times, right? Because that's a that's a post where you can't make everybody happy all the time, right? It's a job of a lifetime. Yeah. Two million students across this province. And I was the first Minister of Education of, of a woman of color, which was really mm-hmm. important. You know, I made it a priority to visit one school every week. And I just want to thank our education workers, thank our teachers and everyone that really puts that as a priority. Uh, There's no greater role than being minister of education in cabinet. Like that's, that's the role. That's that's the one you want. And, um, and I got a chance to do that and to make a difference in well, some ways. I'm certainly eager to talk uh, a, a lot more about it, but we should, we should let people know today, this afternoon, uh, you'll make a goodbye speech at Queen's Park. You're probably going to take a, a transit there accidentally someday and be like, oh, I don't work here anymore, or uh, drive there and I don't work here anymore. But today makes it uh, official. There has to be a ton of uh, a ton of emotion about it. 
Yeah, it's 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 interesting, Greg. I feel a sense of joy today. Yeah. And I don't know, it's a sunny day. The Leafs are going to play this evening. I don't know. I just feel <laughs> I feel a sense of joy and optimism and maybe because you know, I've done my best in terms of representing the people of Scarborough Guildwood. I remember running in 2013 and I said to them, this Scarborough needs a champion. It needs a strong voice. And that's why I'm running. I grew up mm. in this community. I want to represent it. I know that we can do better. And I did. Mm. And so after 10 years, I, I feel that sense of, you know, I know that this community is better having served. Um, I can see it in little ways, like at Morningside in De Lawrence, there's a little uh, playground now. Whereas uh, when I went there, the 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 grade ones were playing and the kindergarten kids were playing on a concrete surface and it was fenced around to keep them safe. And I said, we can do better than this. Kids need to be able to play and mobilized um, the school, the board and the community to build a playground. It's actually in the shape of a little castle. It, now. It, it's amazing you say this because just anecdotally, um, my 15 year old's a soccer player and we, we go, go there all the time. We probably lose more than we win when we go to Scarborough, but that's, uh, that's our problem. Um, but when we go there, I can see parkland, green space, um, a lot more built up than than I would have noticed it five, six years ago. But the people that live there and the other parents say, you should have seen it 15 years ago. Yeah. So it's become a ton more built up. And what I've noticed during this campaign with you and others is there's been advocacy for Scarborough that I haven't seen in other mayoral races. And I think you, you've brought a lot of that to the table where I think the residents of Scarborough at some point said, hmm, being polite all the time or whispering and asking for things isn't working. So as you know, in politics, sometimes you got to get a little loud. You don't have to be rude, but you got to get loud and say, this is what we need. And we want to know why we're not getting it. And, and Scarborough's doing that in this election. Yeah. Scarborough is doing that. And, and you can really see it in the projects that are on stream. So obviously we need better transit in Scarborough. It's like one of the things that, that has been missing and uh, we're finally getting that now. Yeah. And, and those projects, whether it's the subway extension to uh, McCown and Shepherd, you can see it, the boring machines happening um, the new hospital that will be coming on stream eventually. And something that I'm super proud of because it was a question I asked, why don't we have a medical school here? And it's the and best now, question. Now I know. One. I know. Cause imagine, you know, you need to sort of be able to, it's great to have choices to go wherever you want and, and whenever you want for school, but to be able to stay closer to home puts that many more people in the mix to be able to become a doctor, a nurse, um, you know, something, something where it's hands on or, or, or even to go in the, in, into the medical executive field. And that's something again, where I think people have wondered that for, for a good couple decades about, about Scarborough, because we spent a lot of time at Centenary with, uh, with the knee surgery for our kid and the rehab and all that. And, um, you know, a, a, every hospital could use something of a touch up, but the people there were just so wonderful. And I'm like, they deserve to work in a great environment. And they absolutely do. You know, uh, you talk about choices, you know, my mom and I, when I got accepted to universities, we were looking at all the choices and, and my mom said, what were they? Tell me well, what they were. York, there were two, there was York university and UTSC. Okay. Uh, and, and I got to tell you, I wanted to go to York cause all my friends were going there. Yeah. And my mom looked at me and she said, how are you going to get there? U of T Scarborough is one bus ride up the road. Mm -hmm. And that's where I went, mm -hmm. you know, and um, and of course, uh, you know, loved being on campus there. But that's that's what happened at that time in my life. It was 
the choice was made because of transit and access. Mm. And, uh, and think of how when you create more access for people, it opens their world. It gives them more choice. Mm. And, you know, that's what I'm trying to do here by running for mayor is create more access for people, people who feel like they're on the outside and now saying, you know what? No, you can have representation at City Hall and you can be on the inside. Mitzi Hunter's in studio with us, of course, uh, MPP for Scarborough Guildwood. You've gotten a lot of praise this week for um, basically laying it all out, costing it all out, doing the short term during the long term um, when it comes to affordable housing for Toronto. So let's spend the, a few minutes. We've got obviously stuff on the other side of the segment, but we got a few minutes here for you to lay out sort of how this happens. And if you can take us inside the factory, how do you work to say this plan will work, this plan won't, we could tweak this, but but tweak that. You've really, like I said, costed out and giving, like you're given a lot more detail and substance. You're not about something catchy that's a slogan or a, or a, a promise that isn't costed out. And I think I feel that momentum these last three days since you've put this out. Yeah. And, you know, I bring I bring experience in in housing. So I'm the former chief administrative officer for Toronto Community Housing Corporation. And and so I understand how affordable housing works. And it has to be a spectrum of housing. That's how you build communities. And so what I've introduced this week and the reason it's because it's the number one issue that we're facing in Toronto. Mm -hmm. It's housing affordability. People who grow up here, young people like I just described have to be able to see themselves being able to live here. You know, I met a couple just last night at Trinity Bells Bellwoods Park, and, and they said to me, we love our city. We love it. But even with two people working, we cannot afford the rent to live here. Yeah. So they're making plans to leave our city. We can't afford that drain. And you've seen the numbers. We've lost just one year. We lost, forget um, immigration, we lost 140,000 out of Toronto. We gained 80,000, but that's a loss of 60,000. If we lose 60,000 Toronto residents, I mean, people who've always called it home every year, we're just going to have, we're going to have a different city. We're, we're going to, like a little bit of our heart gets, gets ripped out. We absolutely need immigration. That's not the issue. The issue is keeping people born here, just like you described, born here, raised here, who want to live here. We got to give them the opportunity to stay. And it's also, think about who's leaving, Greg. It's those that can afford to move, right? Yeah. And have other opportunities. And so that's not the city that we want for the future, right? We want to retain that great talent, that creative talent, you know, here in our city. We can't afford to lose those people, right? That's what makes Toronto what it is. It's the mix of people living together. And, you know, so what I've introduced this week, it's the Toronto Affordable Housing Corporation that's going to unlock public lands to build more affordable housing that retains ownership in the city. Where's most of this public land? Where does it's it reside? across the city. Yeah. 8,400 city-owned properties are across the city. So rather than, you know, giving that over to developers and then it becomes privately owned and the city loses control of that, what I'm saying is let's reverse that. Let's make it affordable housing that the city retains ownership of and reinvest that into building more affordable units. That's that's what mm. we're going to be doing. All right, but another 10 minutes with uh, Mitzi Hunter, MPP for Scarborough Guildwood. Uh, she's running for mayor. June 26th is our election. She's actually got a... Uh, BIA debate tonight. So some prep for that. I mean, you got to say goodbye in Queens Park. You got to prep for that debate. 
and then uh, and then just sort of celebrate what what I think is a legacy. And I wanted to bring that up as well. Where when you got into provincial politics, you just mentioned it. First person of color as a as a cabinet minister uh, in the Liberal government. Um, first person to be minister of education uh, of color in a city you grew up in. Um, when you first got into politics, you didn't see as many people that that looked like you. And that's changed. There's a lot of people that look at you now and say, well, I can do it because she doesn't. That's both boys and girls, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I always say to, to young people, if you can see me, you can be me. And and so it's important that they see that, you know, and representation does matter. Um, and, and also, you know, what people of color are bringing is actually solutions, you know, They've got the education, they've got the qualifications, and now we need to make sure that they have that opportunity to step forward, you know, be at the cabinet table, be in elected office, um, because there's no reason why our uh, city councils and our cabinets and our parliaments should not be represented uh, by the population and the people who live here. I think, no and I, I, I think even with council voting, some of it is always based on who, who ran, but the one... Even if we look and we were cynical and we're like, ah, what, you know, why didn't more people run against John Tory in the fall? Even if we were to say that, I think we look at, at council and what it became, Mitzi, and we say it looks a lot more like Toronto in 2022, um, whether it's Alejandro Bravo, whether it's uh, Usma Malik. Um, it, it looks a lot more like Toronto, certainly, than it did 10 years, let alone 20, 20, 30 years ago. It certainly does. Absolutely. Jamal Myers, you know. And, Jamal Myers, yeah. Um, so Chris Moyes, another one Chris who's Moyes, always on our absolutely. show. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's exciting, and it's to be celebrated. And um, and we, what we can know and trust is that these people are bringing their skills, they're bringing their talent, and they're also bringing their communities into into Queen's Park and at City Hall, and that's what we ought to be doing. And um, and I think that this city, you know, fifty two percent of the city uh, has is is visibly diverse or has come from somewhere else. And you know, they want they want to have a say. They want to have a voice. And uh, and also they bring ideas and solutions. You know, these are the nurses that mm. uh, are working in our intensive care units. They're our educators. They're they're the ones that are the frontline workers. And um, you know, so we need to be a city. And I and that's why I'm running in this race that works for everyone everywhere in our city. And and we we really need to to see that representation at City Hall. You wake up. Um June 3rd last year, you've kept your seat um, for the Liberals, but the Liberals only went from seven to eight seats. Was it a little bit of a of an empty feeling waking up and seeing um, there just wasn't there wasn't progress where there was supposed to be progress? You think about four years of Doug Ford, four years of the conservative majority. Um, I'm sure you looked and, and thought we needed a better result. We absolutely needed. I mean, I was thrilled to be reelected again by the people of Scarborough Guildwood. Solidly, and solidly. <laughs> you know, I got fifty percent of the vote. You had a close call in twenty eighteen, yeah, so this was not as close. I yeah, got gotcha. you. Twenty eighteen was a bit, a bit shocking. <laughs> bit so, tense. Yeah. yeah, it was a bit tense. So, so you know, June June third. You know, I felt I felt proud of my team and and locally, but as a party, you know, it was it was disappointing and. You know, and the fact that uh, we didn't gain that party status that I felt that we needed to have so that, you know, we could grow and, and have more share of voice, a progressive voice in inside the legislature. Uh, and so, you know, I accept always the the decision of the voters. And um, and it, what it meant is that we had to double down on rebuilding our party. Um, I was 
I'm so thrilled that one member one vote has passed right. our AGM, and and that my team locally in Scarborough, the Women's Association, the Scarborough Guild of Women's Association, the the Liberal Association, led that charge, and and it's a wonderful legacy because now it's about revitalizing the grassroots of our party. All of those individuals, and there are many, you know, very qualified individuals running to be leader of the party, have to pay attention in every single corner of this province to what the grassroots members are saying because they need to earn those votes with one member, one vote. What, I mean, beyond, I, I don't, it's probably not um, kosher to to dig in um, and ask you about last year's platforms or last year's policy um, from, from the party as a whole, but what's the message to the party from you departing to to work their way back. You just mentioned like listening tends to matter. I mean, everything has their length of time in, in politics. Politicians have their, have their, have their run and parties have their run and their eras. Um, But what's the message to the liberal party to, to rebuild this? Get out there, Mm -hmm. get out there and connect with voters. Talk to people, talk to people who disagree with you, you know, really seek to understand what it is that the people of Ontario want at this time um, and listen to things that maybe we don't want to hear and uh, and really learn from that. I, I'm still optimistic about our party. I believe Ontario is a party of, of more of the middle. And, mm. um, you know, there are some challenges. Uh, running an election uh, during a global pandemic was really hard. Uh, I, I recognize that a lot of people were not really, you know, tuned in at all. They were worried about, you know, life things and putting food on the table and, you know, keeping, um, you know, mental health and well-being and things like that that were really, really challenging. And, and incumbents had some big advantages and because, and, and, well. and I, look, we saw that at the federal level. We saw we've seen it overseas, where you look and say, "I'm taking care of you," and remember that I took care of you, and we're we're looking out for your safe. Like we never talked about safety before in elections. We're keeping all of you safe. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't really a pledge that somebody could make in an election. Mm -hmm. It was just about policy and like, what's better for your household? What's better for your street? Those are the things you probably enjoy running on more is, is connecting at the, at the grassroots level. You just said it. And that's how, that's how you win. That's how you connect people. And I feel that now, like, I feel like people are like thinking about what kind of city do we want? What's the future here? You know, is this what we want when we look around and we see that young people can't afford to live here and have to move out of province or move out, move out of country or move out of the city? Is that what we really want? And and I believe that it's not. And so people are now more tuned in to, you know, the decisions that happen, you know, at the ballot box really affect how we live. Mm-hmm. And I think the mayor of Toronto, and, and you've echoed this a bunch of times with with us, is that the relationship that you have with whoever the premier is, whoever the prime minister is, there has to be some push. There has to be some, I'm doing my part here, but you need to do yours. I even take something like homelessness and housing, let's say homelessness and, and, and crime issues. The province just seems not to be doing near enough to talk about mental health, um, to, to do the things that need to be done. And then we can point to the federal government and say, and they seem they seem amenable to it now because we saw all the premiers step up and say, if we've gotten lax on bail reform, if we've gotten lax on probation issues, we can't. It's one thing to have somebody who's not a threat, but it's one thing to have somebody who has a long, violent record of, of crime. We can't have them out. It's not. It, again, if you if you don't think you sit, you're safe, you will adjust your behavior and mm-hmm. you'll adjust your behavior wherever you live to take whatever precaution you need to protect yourself. 
Yeah. So one of the things that I bring is, you know, the experience at the provincial level, you know, working um, right across from Premier Ford right now in opposition, having served as a cabinet minister and leading complex government portfolios like education and associate minister of finance doing the Ontario retirement pension plan that led to CPP expansion working with the Prime Minister and the federal government on key issues like that. And so, you know, on day one, I can do that role in terms of being Toronto's champion and chief negotiator with the province and with the federal government and making sure that Toronto gets its due. You know, I put out a mental health strategy Mm -hmm. because, Mm -hmm. you know, mental health is, is part of health and it's really a provincial responsibility. But the city of Toronto needs to have a strategy because there are many people here that are suffering in terms of mental health or substance abuse and addictions. And we, and when we see it visibly, imagine what we don't see. And so I'm suggesting we have a chief mental health officer that reports to the medical officer of health so that we can make sure that our people are looked after here in this city and and that, you know, they get the help and support that they need. And in the meantime, as mayor, making sure we hold the province accountable for its responsibilities for mental health services and other health services that are needed in this city right now. Is there, we've talked about housing, mental health, is there an issue that you look at and, and even five weeks ago you say, I'm hearing this at the doorsteps, at the meetings, at the gatherings, way more than I thought I would. Is there something that is, because I think some of the issues, the obvious issues, I don't mean to demean them because they're they're obvious because they're really damn important, but is there something that's come to you and you're like, I didn't know this was an issue and now I'm on top of it a lot more than, than I think the other candidates are or than even I was six weeks ago. Yeah, so, and, you know, people can certainly uh, look at my my site, uh, mitziformayor.ca, and, and really see the policies and the platforms I'm putting out. Um, so definitely um, homelessness was a big issue. I'm hearing about that from small businesses and, you know, the, the local Tim Hortons and saying, you know, you know, we're, we're doing our part because we're, we're providing, you know, sometimes food or a place for people to go. Uh, so when I did my library strategy, for instance, I made it, you know, really important that vulnerable people can enter the library and with dignity and with respect and have partnering organizations there that could maybe provide supplies that they need um, in a discreet and respectful way. Um, and, uh, and even like Cafe Tio, you know, it was actually a local restaurant that said, Hey, those fees are really yeah, hurting you talked us about the fees. Yeah. As, as a t- at a time when, when we are just recovering and, and they've mortgaged their home to keep their restaurant open. And, and so why are we sort of dinging them as a city when we should be really giving them space? So, you know, those, those, those great, um, shops and, and, you know, busy main streets can come to life again with our cafes and our restaurants at the center of that. And, yeah. and so, you know, one of the things that, that I'm known for is listening and uh, and noticing what needs to be done and bringing solutions to bear to solve those challenges in a very practical way. Mm. You know, I've been a business owner. I was a small business owner. That's how I started my career. Yeah. And so I really <clears throat> understand what is needed and uh, and how to bring those solutions about. Mitsiano is running for mayor of Toronto. Want your vote on June 26th. And uh, let me as one of almost 15 million people in Ontario, thank you for your legacy for the province. Honestly, it's almost an entire decade. I think you've been influential. I think you've been you've blazed some trails, um, and I think you've you've left everything on the table. Like you said, you don't you don't leave with regrets because you put everything into it. Yeah, financial literacy. 
you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that was something that mm-hmm. I felt that we needed to bring to our schools and, you know, made that mandatory for grade 10 students. And that's something that is still there today. In fact, the present government has built on that. I would have loved to have taken, I'm too old to have taken that course. I would have loved to have taken that course instead of some of the art courses I took and got uh, C's and D's in Mitzi. We'll talk about that next time. I'll bring my transcripts in. Thank you for coming in this morning. Thank you so much for having me.